0: It's good to see you all. Thanks very much. Two weeks to Easter, a lot going on. Thank you very much for that. Um, Let's see here. I know, okay, here we go. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you gave us your Son as a pioneer of salvation and made him the true and eternal priest and mediator for all his people. Now grant that we hold fast to him in love, that we learn obedience in discipleship to Him, and be brought to the heavenly sanctuary through Him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God now and forever. Amen. Okay, great to see you. Thanks very much. Not much time left, so you know, two weeks to Easter. That's good. Um, come to Tizay if you can. It's been uh, it's been fun to see you there. Come to the gym. You know, come for dinner. Come chat with your friends. You'll be on your way by seven thirty. So just you could use a little quiet in your life. Uh, if you want to go to the Holy Land, I put some of these out. I was surprised they all disappeared. I don't know if that means they got tossed or you took them. But if uh, either way, if you want to go in November with the just, um, you know you you should go. Uh, you should go do what you want to do. You should go. Um, thanks for paying attention to these. Uh, you'll notice that I. I made an argument for 10% of all you've got, but I didn't make it by saying, um, and the Lord will you know, send you straight to hell if you don't. Uh, mostly because I didn't want to have to answer it on blog posts uh, from other people outside St. John. But what I did try to do for you is to say, um, if you do this, the church will work. And I think there's ample evidence when you don't, churches don't work. I mean, I can just tell you, they just, it just doesn't work, you know. Um, but if you do it, it works, and there's no bigger proof than the uh, uh, stained glass. By the way, there will be um, after Easter, and I don't actually exactly know the date. Doesn't matter. It'll be a couple weeks after Easter. Be a guy here about who will come and talk about leaving, putting St. John into your will. Um, if you want to be part of that, or you know somebody who should be part of that, then come along for that. If you if you've done it, you know, and you think there are other people who should do it, encourage them to come and do it. Um, you know, it's a nice thing. Uh, if it if it worked out. So we'll we'll actually offer that opportunity. Okay. Um I want to play my favorite game, which is you be me. You be me. Let's play you be me. <laughs> Alright. So uh here's the thing. I want to play it out of the Bible study. Don't look at your don't look at your sheets, okay? Because maybe you looked ahead I'm hoping you actually didn't look ahead in this particular case. There is um oh yes, there's yes <laughs> This is what, like, park your car? Could you get, it's the Buick? Well, what, I, what is this? Give some money to Westfield House. There you go. Put some money in. You're a nice woman. Subtle, yet firm. <laughs> <laughs> this is your, your lucky man, Byron. That's all I got to say. You are a very, very lucky man, I have to say it. So that was nice. You, I mean, I have the attention span of a gnat on Sunday morning. I mean, I just, we don't print the liturgy out for you. We print it out for me, you know. So it's like, dang. Um, although I did remember to ring the bells this morning, so I'm feeling good about myself, my self-image, as myself. myself. Thank was, you for your praying for me. Government. Exactly. Yeah, you weren't the only one. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So, uh, here's the thing. So let's play. You be me, okay? Because you know that's life is fun. So we're at this thing. So here's here's basically where we've been, and it takes a while to get there. Part of this is you know you have to remember that I'm learning as I go, and it takes me a while to kind of figure this out. And hopefully I can say it better now than I said it you know four or five months ago. Not everything, you know, it's not like I just have this vault of things where I move things. You know, I've got to kind of figure this out. And this has been kind of a hole in Lutheranism. You know, there is an old thing in Latin that the Lutherans embraced, which translates to misuse doesn't constitute disuse. So just because just you don't know how to use a hammer doesn't mean anybody shouldn't use a hammer. Maybe just you shouldn't use a hammer, okay? <laughs> So, and and a lot of these things that we know about ourselves, for example, how we're constituted as a human being, the simplest way is intellect and will. We see and then we choose. It's the simplest way to talk. Now, you can divide that, you know, 19 different ways, whether you go to Aristotle or Aquinas. In the same way, these sins, you know, Lutherans got bent because they would go to confession and there were, you know, literally, honestly, there were books Books of sins. And the priests, so many of the priests couldn't keep up. So when you come to confession, he'd be like paging through all the time, finding out, you know, what is, you know, the proper penalty, you know, if, if, you, if you sleep with your next door neighbor's wife and steal two chickens while you're there. I mean, there would be a particular, you know, what you would have to do to make that right. So, you know, Lutherans got so, so bent, they sort of, you know, they sort of, you know, ran to the other side of the boat and it capsized the other way. Which is when we think about ourselves, we don't really kind of know what's going on. And what happens then, it's a little like going to a doctor who didn't really know that there was, you know, much more to, you know, he knew that people coughed, but he didn't really know if they coughed because they smoked or they had the flu or it was a common cold. It was like that. So we lost kind of our diagnostic powers. What I want to do is hopefully give you and me a common language to first diagnose ourselves But then also, you know, if you come for help, we might sort of say, well, look, this is how people are constituted, this is how it works. Now we started with very, very strong things, faith, hope, and love, the divine virtues that every Christian gets. So every Christian gets faith, hope, and love. If you didn't have faith, you can't say Jesus is Lord. If you don't have hope, you have you know no interest in toward heaven, but we confess it every week. You know, if we don't have love, the community blows apart. Everybody gets faith, hope, and love. But then you see, as we learned early, the Holy Spirit distributes his gifts in different ways to different people in different measures. And part of what the church is meant to do is to figure out who's got what and then try to let those things play together. Okay, so we've been running through this list of things, like humility. We started with, with humility. You know, If you remember all the gifts you've been given, it makes you very thankful and that thankfulness makes you humble. So the very first thing we did was, if you want to be humble, don't try to be humble, because then you become proud of your humility, right? Instead, the way to to learn humility, the church has learned, the way that you learn humility is you count your blessings, as it were, and you think about the giver of those blessings, and you look around and you say, all the ways you've been blessed, and you learn that it didn't come from you, and that makes you thankful, and in that thankfulness, you're humble because you're not the source of your being or your gifts. So very simple things like that. Now, things have gotten progressively more interconnected as we've gone. So we've talked about, you know, the delightfulness of being together. We've talked about piety, living in holiness. You know, we've talked about knowing things, right? But now we've gone beyond that too. The gift that we've talked about is discernment. And discernment now is interesting because it starts to, put the gifts together and it lets them play with each other. It sorts them and uses them, applies them. Okay, Now, that's a great skill in the church. And we see it all over in the scriptures. When the scriptures say things like, test the spirits. So that you're not every spirit that appears as the spirit of God. Some are spirits of the devil. Some are spirits of God. Sometimes, as you know from James, the spirits of God... Or, I'm sorry the spirits of the demons darkness dress up as the spirits of light. Sometimes the spirits of light come as human beings as James says in that way some of you have entertained angels, right? So, you have to be able to discern what things are and discernment is the gift that we've been working with. It's a very it's a it's a very very good skill. You know, people have less and more of it. Part of what the church is meant to do is to figure out who's got that and then to trust them so for example we're always very careful about who becomes an elder because you know tons of stuff happens in an elders meeting that none of you know about my wife doesn't know about we don't go home and talk about it they don't go home and talk about it but it's a place where I could say to them this is how the world re- you, looks to me and sometimes you know it's a bit of a rant and they sort of pat me like they're there boy it's all gonna be fine you know someday you just relax and you know the Lord will sort this out but the, you know, you look for people who have that wisdom. And if you read the scriptures, even in Acts, where people think there's this democracy or plurality, that's actually not what happens. If you read the stories in Acts, there's often a place where a lot of people talk, but then one of the apostles or one of the old men or old women gets up and says, hey, I've been listening to everybody. See, knowledge, seeing. And now this is what we're going to do. Discernment. Pulls the option and steps on the gas. This is where we're going. Okay. We'll go back and do that from the text, maybe toward the end, but not so as not to ruin you. Let's just play you be me. Okay. So when I listen to myself talk, so I will say, one. Of the, I got a great gift for my daughter at my birthday, my oldest daughter, um, at my birthday, who wrote me a card with all the things I've ever said to her. Okay. <laughs> Now, here's the thing, this is a great gift because, of course, when you're a father and you've got kids, what are you thinking? That's right. So she wrote all these things to me from never pay retail to, uh, you know, I mean, this long list of things that I'd sort of said to her. And I was like, honest to God, my life is complete, you know. But one of my kids was paying attention. You know, the, the jury is still out on the other two. But but they're younger, you see. I mean, they're younger. You know this, right? It takes a little longer. And But you, you sort of go. So in the same way, make me happy. Make me a happy old man. If I said to you, what are the... So what happens is... I'm sorry. What, I, I was going to say, if I said to you, what are the rubrics by which we sort of run things around here? What are they? Pause. Now, this is what I say. The reason that is, is what happens is discernment distills, distills itself into... Rubrics are principles for how we do what we do, right? So, um, if I said to you, if you just think about St. John, our community, um, you know, what are the what are the sort of what are the sort of the rubrics, or what are the how do we run? Like when we don't know what to do, how do we know what to do? Does that make sense? Anything come to mind? Oh, perfect. I'm glad you're not my children. <coughs> Claire, you're looking better and better all the time. Yes, right. So at the, at the center of all things, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with that answer because it's going to be the incarnate word, big W. So now I'm going to save you from being a fundamentalist, which is, and this would be a thing, so Christ is the first thing. The difference between you and a fundamentalist is a fundamentalist starts with scripture and goes to Jesus. No, 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 no. That's not how the game is played. We start with Jesus and go to the scriptures. So incarnate word goes to and word. Now, I've said that to you a gazillion times. Like we spent a whole year, two years ago, talking about orbiting Christ. Christ is in the middle. Everything comes in. So you always think to yourself, orbiting Christ. Or if I said to you, maybe I didn't ask a very good question. If I said to you, around here, what are the components of the Christian life? You would say back to me. Christ, Christ, perfect. You guys are on the far edge of the bell curve. The rest of you, there'll be tutorials later. Christ, (laughs) scripture, prayer, the divine service, right, or the Eucharist. So Christ first, scripture and prayer, your your devotional life, scripture and prayer, the divine service, the Eucharist, tithing and alms, you know, um, being merciful, being very very merciful to other people, and giving a good witness. And honestly, I've been here 17 years. We've just ticked kind of through those. I think I gave you those the very first year I was here. That was kind of the first thing we did. This is, what, this is what you're paying attention to in a Christian life. It's roughly seven things. Christ Scripture Prayer. So Christ first, your devotional life, alone, individually, if you will, or with your family. The Eucharist, the community. right? Tithing and alms. And very thorough mercy. So it's Russia. And then it's, you know, Westfield House. And then it's Ghana. Um... And then finally a winsome witness and all that that Im- involves, right? So what else? Anything else? Thanksgiving, not finger Yes, right. So you want a community that's very, very helpful, right? You want a community that's not judgmental. It's very, very difficult for Christians because we, we have standards. You know, God is not a sop. I mean, God has standards. He's not a slouch. On the other hand, it was in the Romans reading for today therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so what does that mean and they talked about how the law works on you the law can can teach you things but it can't save you okay so here's the deal we all know pretty much right from wrong and you can stretch this everything from you know you you have the answer here from you know your kids taking drugs to homosexual marriage to you know what what national health care looks like to you know, dot, 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 dot. You can figure it all out with enough study, okay, with enough discernment. But here's where it starts, which is the law always accuses. So it tells us there's a line. We've done this a thousand times. There's a line, and if you step across it, you might have seen somebody just fell off. Somebody just fell off again into the Grand Canyon, which I always feel bad about. And then I always think, come on. Come on. The fence is there. The fence says to you, do not eat of that tree. Do not step over that fence. There's always an Eve somewhere that's got to, you know, Adam, step it over. Don't step over the fence. You're like, when you step over the fence, really bad things happen. So the law accuses you stepped over the fence. But for Christians, it was in the gospel for today. It doesn't condemn you, which means while we have standards, we aren't angry all the time. We aren't finger wagging all the time. Because when you do that, The church loses its witness. What we are, we have standards and we love, you see. Or how about this? The basic liturgical stuff. Everything matters because everything teaches, right? Why do the stained glass windows have to look like that or better? Why do they have to look like that? Because everything matters, so everything teaches. You watch people as they go in and look at them. It is overwhelming, nostalgically, for those who have been here a very long time you know, in sense of accomplishment, the next thing has happened. For those of you who have been part of this, for new people, they've never seen it. Why does it have to be that way? Because everything teaches. Long ago, far away, when I came, you remember the church wasn't air conditioned. And somebody, a visitor came and said to me at the door, I mean, literally, it's 97 degrees in there. (laughs) Do you remember you all used to stay home? Do you remember this? And do you remember the first, this is true, the first summer we had air conditioning, that was my first, maybe my first big battle here, the first summer, attendance was up and giving was up so much it paid for the air conditioning. The princely sum of $17,000. Now when you think about it, you're like, oof. But some, a visitor came to me and said, it's 97 degrees in here. They said, if this place isn't air conditioned in the middle of summer, it makes me, what, what, what are the other things you're not doing? What else aren't you doing? I'm like, a bit, a bit, a bit. You know, I'm standing at the door trying to defend why the place isn't air conditioned. I remember this bride I have. I still see her. She occasionally comes... But it was, she, she came, she was gorgeous, and she had, she had perspired through everything. She looked like somebody had dumped a bucket of water on her. And you're like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this poor woman, you know, it was about eight weeks after I was here. I'm like, she just looked, it probably had to be 110 degrees in there with all those people packed in. Sort of, so, but here's the thing. It's everything from the music to how the lessons are read to how we walk in to how we walk out. And, here's, and it goes both ways. If we're slovenly... Right. If we're slovenly, that's bad because we don't care about God. If we're prissy, we give the we give the impression that God judges everyone who's not up to our standards. There's got to be this easy elegance in the middle, because so for the liturgy, everything matters, because everything teaches every last thing you do. So watch little kids now as they go look at the windows. So there's kids this morning saying, "I see a shepherd. I see Jesus. I see a cow." I'm like, <laughs> right. Because that's the reason you do it. Everything matters because everything teaches. What else? Another thing of the windows, the new glass looks very much like the old glass. And unless you have a very good memory, you don't know where the old leaves off and the new begins. Yeah, so they actually bought the company that made the old windows in the course of the construction of this. And they taught two people in their shop how to... It was a thing that they didn't do anymore. It's a very uncommon way of doing. You both fire the windows and paint them, Right what else you got something else you're gonna make me sad if you don't uh you know anything else yeah do find your spot exactly so we spend a whole we spend a whole lot of time about trying to find find your spot which is each of you has a gift and it needs to be exercised in this place um it's extraordinarily important that you do that if you don't do that we'll be poorer and you'll be poorer. i mean every last person and i have to say you know how to make the congregation sticky in a way that everybody finds their spot is kind of the next thing. Um, not too much, not too little. We know you're very, very busy, but we can't, we can't do everything. If I was going to say to you, what's the primary, What's the primary? I said it in my very first sermon to you 17 years ago. What's the primary thing that the church is about? I guess I should preach that. Well, I mean, I can preach a sermon again when it comes up in the lecture. That's great. Making disciples and making them stronger, right? Yeah, there you go. Thanks very much. Don't be shy. Carol, if you're the smartest kid in the class, there's no shame in giving every answer. You know, if you're the only one that studied, you know, that's, hey, that's on everybody else, okay? Or, um, you know, even little things I've given you, like, um, you know, Jesus is a, a realist and Satan is an idealist. That's helped me so much, Thank you. This helped me so much to remember because my one of the great flaws I have, you know, in my own life and in evaluating people and congregations is, I always think that you're going to deliver more um, than you deliver. I don't, I never, and I've told you a hundred times, I didn't account easily or f- or sufficiently for evil, for sin in people, and that then makes me disappointed, and that then can make me harsh. You know, so this notion that um, You know, Satan is an idealist. You know, this comes from John Kleinig, of course, but I'm sort of moaning about this over dinner one night. Satan is an idealist. Jesus is a realist. Yes, Mr. Orton. There you go. Thank you very much. So that was a very early thing I said. The the distinction between law and gospel is the distinction between what you get to do and what you've got to do, right? So is church like this, you know? Or is it like, I really want to go there? Which then, of course, forces you back to everything matters because everything teaches, right? Or toward making this a place where people are welcome and not judgmental. So there's a lot of kids who didn't roll out of bed and come to church this morning because of what they did last night. If you look at them like I know what you did last night, for you would be I know what you did last summer, because those are the movies you watch. Uh, you know, uh, you know, if you look at them, that's one way to look at them. The other way is to look at them, like, here's the Eucharist, and that'll just clean that up from last night. right? Bruce. Expand on that, there is no for: those that are in That's right. Yes, that's right. And that's the, is that the law part? I mean, it's something that we have to tell people, you know, you're forgiven, but you still have to go out and pay for that uh, person that died in the accident type thing because there's laws that you have to abide uh, by, correct? Yes. However, my argument has always been that the church is too good at that and not good enough at the other side. So we're too good at... Uh, you're right. So you are right. So two ways to nuance that. One is if you never do that, I've often pointed to you the story of Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus stands up and gives half away and then repays everybody he hurt four times. Right. So it is penance is in the scriptures and there it is. And Jesus says about Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house this day. Because he not only confessed he did penance, he made wrongs right where he could. On the other hand, honestly, the church has been so sharp with people, you would think that the church is for perfect people and not for sinners and some people the problem is some people 's sins are obvious, but some people have sins that you never find out about, and occasionally you know I bump into this at a funeral point or at a divorce point, or you know something else i mean you you realize people had this sin that they 've nurtured, not resisted, nurtured for decades, and you know so I just, I, just, I just am very careful about the accusation of the law. The law always does accuse. But I don't think if people looked at most Missouri-centered Lutheran churches, I don't think what they would say is, you don't accuse people enough. I think they would say the opposite, which is you don't love people enough. So I have given that. And you're of, you know, roughly my age. You know, we're roughly contemporaries. You know There's been enough of that in your history and mine that everybody knows that. And everybody knows what you're talking about. That's part of the wisdom in what you're saying. Everybody knows what you're talking about, but here's the thing. That's not the last word, and we're not very good with the other side. So that first line, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means every kid that's ever been baptized here, right? every kid who's ever been to the Eucharist, every person who's been broken and come back and confessed, there's no condemnation. Sure, we do stupid stuff all the time, and we have to live with the consequences of our stupid stuff, but having said that, it's also the church's job to mitigate that to love people who have you know, done something that have made, made themselves sick, to love people who have blown up their families, you know, t- to love them. And I would just suggest to you, and I, I don't intend to change over the next decade or so, I just suggest to you, the emphasis has to be on the love side of this. And this is discernment, you see. Because even Walter, what does Walter say? He says the, the rookie mistake of a preacher is when in a sermon he preaches 50% law and 50% gospel. That's a rookie mistake. Why? Because it's a zero-sum game. Life is not a zero-sum game. As Paul says, sin abounds, 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2. Grace abounds all the more, 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2. That means for Jesus, it's not a zero-sum game. The church is not a zero-sum game. It's like you have two sins and the Lord forgives 12. And if you have 10, he forgives 112. That's what the text means. So it's this overflow. But the problem for us is it easily comes to us. We're easily judgmental about other people, right? Perfect. Perfect. Uh, yeah. I look at the fact that the Bible still clearly says that if you don't forgive, if you hold the armor, you know. Completely conceded. Okay. However, that's not our biggest problem. That's not our biggest You're right. So all I would say is, so discernment is for you then, and for me, for people. So you bump into young Mr. Byers there just to your left. You look at that guy and you say what is it that he needs? When you look at him, you say, is it for me to love him or accuse him? I, I, love is the automatic default. and accusation should come sparingly and lightly and carefully, and you better be right, and you better have the moral authority to do it. That's a lot of work. Man, that's a lot of work. You see how rarely we should be in accusation of other people. Sure. Really just, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Just said, Come, I'll find out who you are, but you have a friend who's missed you. Your Jesus wants you at his table. As a result of that, my husband will also be getting confirmed. But that's how this church works through those that have been called and those that hold the prophets' arms up. But I am most grateful for what he did, it was showing love. Um, you know we want to it's good that you're here we want to be that kind of place and um, you know it is I have to say to you um, st. John is really a good place in that way but partly what I'm trying to do for you is to say and I said this you know this morning in a couple of different venues I've said to people um, it's a really and I I think I said this to you last week too it's a really good place but really the key is and this is going to be the difficulty going forward is managing success in some ways managing success in any venue, in your family, in business, in the church, managing success is much more difficult than managing trauma, right? It's, it's, it takes it as takes much savvy to manage success because what will happen, this was my little riff I gave you last week that I started about pride. You know, when things are going really well, we forget that we live only by the gifts of God. When we forget we live only by the gifts of God, then we think we live by the gifts that we give ourselves. And then if we give them to ourselves, they're not really gifts. I really earned them, and then we're prideful. Okay, It's very, very important to kind of think that through. All right, let me push you back to point. Just, I'm just going to push you back to point number six on the outline, okay? And I'm just going to see if I can scooch through the rest of this. So this notion of discernment, of being able to basically see the lay of the land and pick the best possible way to go, is terribly important. If you just um, look up, this was the epistle from last week, just at the end of 5. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So there you already have a marker. You and I are looking for what is good and right and true. What is light, not darkness? I mean, there's another thing we talked about. Touch holy things, don't touch evil things. Touch the light, don't touch the darkness. Simple, simple stuff, Right? So, there are a couple things. The gift of knowledge, which we already did, and I just said to you, this is point six, it's like a treasure map, right? It's like a database. The gift of knowledge is just, you just see the lay of the land, and there's always more to see, okay? It's, you can think about it however it is, but the gift of knowledge that Jesus gives is the ability to see. Now, some people see more than other people. Some people have a bigger database, you know? It's just the way life is. You know, oftentimes, older people in the church, they just see more. They just see they just, they just see better. This is, ex- not only, this is not only reading the text, this is also experience. It's evaluation. It's learning from your mistakes. You just know some things. okay? So it gives us the lay of the land. Um, and, so, and this is why at the bottom of the page I say, this is why Bible study is so important for any church. Because Bible study builds your database. It builds your knowledge. It builds your treasure map. You know, it gives you a cosmology, how to see the world. So you need that. It's this combination of Scripture... And then lived experience. You know things. How do you know things? I don't know. I just know things. That's the experience of old folks. Okay, turn the page. And, you know, I just gave you this text, which you all know. But Isaiah 55, sometimes you have to read the text you know. Seek the Lord while he's found. Which is really important. I've, I've tried to, you know, it's kind of been an interesting time. You know, we're, we're um, I don't even, what's the date today? What is this? Six? So we're, you know, the call day is the 23rd. You've called a pastor. You know, we still don't know, although... Sometimes people you know bump and nudge i okay, so ah, oh, no, never mind i won 't say that i uh, 'll get in trouble. see if I say that then i 'll get in trouble so uh, here 's the thing: seek the Lord while he 's near, you seek him while he 's near why verse eight, my thoughts aren 't your thoughts, my database isn 't your database, neither your ways, my ways, what you do isn 't the same thing that I do, right you know there it is. Heavens are higher from the earth, so my ways. So we need the Holy Spirit, who gives us this gift of knowledge. Next is so that's just knowing. Then the next gift is going, and we talked about this strength. Okay, so it's a strength to go from here to there. We see where we should go, and the Lord gives us strength. This is what we've done. The problem is, is that this is like I tried to give you the analogy of a car. You know, a car. You got you know you got a lot of horsepower there, but it needs to be directed, needs to be steered, needs to be accelerated and decelerated. Somebody has got to use the gifts wisely. Okay, turn the page. This is nine. That's why Jesus always is talking about this gift of discernment or gift of counsel. It's everywhere that you're supposed to act wisely, with discretion, cleverly. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. What does that mean? It means that you don't presume the worst about people as you go see them, but you also know that people can be horrible. It means that you you don't presume the worst about people when they do it, and you evaluate what if they do their absolute best. So let's just take the tithing thing. If everybody goes 10% by the end of Lent, which I, in my heart, know you will, uh, you know, then the next thing we'll have to figure out is how we're going to spend that big pile of money. I don't want to be like Moses who has to say, don't bring me any more money. I, I don't know what. I want to be the guy who, like Moses, the, the, you know, Moses the, 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 the next edition, 2.0. Just keep bringing it. We'll figure it out, okay? Pile it up downstairs. We have to burn it to keep the you know, place warm. That's what we'll do. We'll figure it out. You, know, you, need, you, know, you need this discernment. What if everybody turns out? And then what if they don't? What if you all do the best thing? And live in humility and love. What if you don't? What if you all turn out to be prideful and greedy? I mean, that's part of the deal. Because we know we have both those things going on. This is discernment. This is what elders have to do. It's what pastors have to do. It's what leaders have to do. It's what parents have to do. This is a divine gift. It's not just about power going from one place to another. Anybody can do that. Right? (laughs) Right? And it's not just about knowing, because no matter how much you know, you never know enough, and you never know what God is going to do next. This is about this is about getting the lay of the land and finding the best way through that is goes with truth, goes with light, right, goes with good. So um, you know, the, I give you the text at the bottom here. You know this. Um, you count nails before you build a house. You count noses before you have a fist fight. And that's Jesus. <laughs> Which of you is going to build a tower? Doesn't sit down and make some plans, goes to the Home Depot, checks his credit rating. You know? Which of you who's going to build a tower doesn't count nails? Because if you fail, what will everybody say? What an idiot. And the guy's got no discernment. He you know, he he you know, he was strong enough to build a tower, but he didn't have the money at the end of the day. Which of you, before he has a fist fight, which of you will say with, you know, a thousand men, I go with ten thousand men, which one of you you know, you think about a fist fight and you say to yourself, hey, am I really going to be able to finish this? That's discernment. Like, is it better to have a fist fight and just kind of finish them off? You know, can you drop them with one punch or is this going to be a long, drawn out thing? The history of the world can be written as the history of failed wars because people didn't discern very well about what was important and what wasn't. Gee, it was 20th, I don't know if you saw this over the weekend, it was the 20th anniversary of. The genocide in Rwanda. And we've talked about this before. We talked about this because the guy we had the guy around who for a while who started the guy who started International Justice Mission, I don't know if you remember this. You know, he's the guy who said, Jesus has a plan and you're it. His first job was with he worked either the FBI or State Department, but he was a young guy. And he went and listened, sat and listened. He's a Christian guy, young guy. He went and sat and listened to basically person after person say, They hacked my family to death in front of my eyes they burned the church down with 400 people in front of it. Yesterday, the, the, the story they used was, I mean, you can't believe people can be this horrible. A mother who had seven kids, and they made her um, decide which kids, she had to dig the grave and decide which kids she would bury alive. And they said, you can either, you can either um, bury some of your kids and have the other ones, you, so you can imagine this. You bury them alive. And then, of course, they killed her kids anyway in front of her eyes. And Rwanda is going through right now what um, South Africa went through the truth and Justice Commission where the way they found and this is interesting how government eventually mimics the church they have figured out that people have to go to people so here's the payoff if I go to you and say I hacked your family to death my prison term gets shortened or I get left, let, let out 20 years later because they've realized there's never really closure if you just work with anger and justice People say it all the time, but it's just not true. See, people don't discern that anger doesn't quench itself and that justice isn't the final answer. You know, even South Africa, even Rwanda, and it takes 10, 20, 30 years. We will see this in Syria now with all the people, however that plays out, however that plays out. You know, I read an article the other day about they have no anesthesia for kids when they bring them into the emergency room. You know what they do for the emergency room in, in Syria, Damascus? They hit kids over the head with a lead pipe. Knock them out so that they can do more difficult surgery. That's the world in which you live. That's my world, okay? That's why we pray for people on Sunday morning. Okay, so it's terribly important to see. We can see it all around it. The problem with the church is it doesn't always work in real time. You can tell people mercy is important in real time, but they don't believe you. Now they'll believe you 10 years later, or 20 years later, or 30 years later when justice and anger didn't solve it, right? when people have feuds that last 50 and 100 and 200 and 500 years you know the bosnians have to hate the serbs and the serbs you know have to hate the bosnians and the croatians they you know all of that this keeps going so part of it is none of us live long enough to to learn it and then do it we actually have to absorb the divine knowledge that's been given to us live in mercy count noses count nails and we need to discern that right which way should we go? That's why the church is so valuable. The problem is, is, especially in a world that's instantaneous, the church's answers in those realms aren't instantaneous. They are instantaneous in the point of you're forgiven and we love you now. But how that plays out in somebody's life, it sometimes takes years, right? So this is why it's all so important. Okay, I'm going to spin the page ten. Um, and I gave you what is one of my favorite parts of the scripture. I only printed it out because I felt bad about not giving the whole thing to you. But one of the great, one of the great, if you need rubrics for sifting, if you need uh, a sieve, if you need to figure out what to do, you uh, one of the great places to go is the First um, John four. You know that chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is he who knows God that he confesses Jesus comes in the flesh. Right? So what's the sieve? The first sieve is the flesh of Jesus. You've heard that so much from us, that you're joined to the flesh of Jesus, that the flesh of Jesus matters, that you put a body on the cross because it emphasizes the flesh of Jesus. You take the Eucharist because that's the flesh of Jesus. This is the difference between light and darkness when you're discerning things, when you're trying to figure out what to do. This is where you can be wary. This is where you can relax. You can relax when the flesh of Jesus is being confessed. And you can relax when you see that flesh being expressed in love that's when you that's when you know you're on the right track and if it's something else you know that you've taken a different course you may still get from a to b but honest to god on the way it's going to be unpleasant and when you get there it's going to be unfulfilling because it's not done in the way of the merciful flesh of Jesus it's just so terribly important um, that you know, God doesn't work by force and everybody's in and nobody's out and Christ loved us first and then, you know, then we learn to love. And all of that is in that, um, in the fourth chapter, John, turn the page, I'll just do one more thing. We spent a very long time, probably two or three weeks ago on this five or six years ago. It's still one of the best things I've ever learned, of course, the across my Bible study, which is, and this is the ultimate task of discernment, to discern what is best it's the one place I like the NIV as a translation of scripture Um, at the bottom of this page this is my prayer Okay, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, look at that, so two of them are wrapped together and depth of insight, remember we spend about a month doing those three words but it's because of the next thing so that you may able, and there it is You may be able to discern, sift, decide, figure out, put them next to each other and examine them and choose one. You can discern what is, and there it is best. So I've talked to you about a hundred times about this. The church doesn't, the, the problem with the church is the church settles. And often when it doesn't settle, it's angry. Neither of those are the answer. The church is meant to do what's best. How do you know what's best? Knowledge, right? big database, a lot of study. Love, servant, not master. right? Forgiveness, not retribution. right? Mercy, not justice. That's the Lord's business. And the last thing, depth of insight, that's deep spiritual maturity. You follow people who have done it before, who have figured it out. Those are the three things you need to do what's best. Maturity, maturity, Knowledge and love. There it is. And that's what the church is meant to do. Now, you can see, I mean, we're hardly doing anything about discernment. But discernment, this is a gift of God, and it's so terribly important. Because if you don't discern, you'll destroy yourselves. Or worse, you'll end up like Revelation, where you're just sort of lukewarm. And and you you remember what happens? You remember how Revelation starts? He says, I went to these churches... I visited them. This is what Jesus says. I went to the churches. I visited them. And then he said, what does he say? Do you remember? They were neither hot nor cold, and so I. That's not the church you want to be. So the church is never halfway. The church is never halfway. The church is always full blast. That's the reason for everything. It's the reason for a long catechumenate. It's the reason for the liturgy. It's the reason for doing things well. It's the reason for tithing. It's the reason for loving. It's the reason for outreach. It's the reason for everything. Because the church never does anything halfway. If you get to the end and you've done it halfway, Jesus spits you out. It's like, ah, that's not pleasing at all. On the other hand, your finest day is when you realize that Jesus is pleased with you. That he's forgiven you. That he's held you close. And that he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Boom. And we're going to get all that, you know, as we move through the year. Okay? We're going to go, and well, I'll finish this up next week. You can take a peek at that, but then I'm, we're going to go to two, um, two of the deadly sins we haven't talked about yet. Um, anger, and then I'm not sure whether we'll do covetousness, you know, being satisfied with what you've got next, but we'll do a couple of the opposites of this and see how they affect us. Okay, that's where we're going. Um, next week. Next week's Palm Sunday, right? Yes. Palm Sunday? So Palm Sunday we'll go. Easter we won't go. We'll be back, but we'll, you know, we'll keep going. All right, we've got to run. Love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory Forever and ever, Amen. 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 All right, thanks. See ya. Love you. Bye.